You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis, a faith community that welcomes, affirms, and protects the light in each human heart, listens deeply to where love is calling us next, and with humility, courage, and compassion, works to create a more just world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Embody your spirit and join me in singing our opening hymn, Woyoya. 1020 in the green hymnal, if you like to look at the notes. A couple of weeks ago, I woke up and my first thought was, I'm so glad it's Sunday. I really need some church today. It had been a long and difficult week and I wanted to come to church to sit with you, to sing and be sung to, to say the words for the lighting of the chalice with you and glean a little bit of wisdom from whatever, wherever, 
or whomever it came. And then I realized it was only Wednesday. <laughs> it had been a long, difficult two-day week. On Monday, I drove to St. Paul to model for an art class. I visited my sister, and then I ran home to scramble for lunch before running to North Minneapolis to teach a yoga class. And then I went to visit my mom in North Minneapolis before I ran back down to South Minneapolis to teach another yoga class. And then finally, I got home, and I told my wife, or not my wife, my spouse, <laughs> who is a cis man. Um, <laughs> that's just... I told my spouse <laughs> that I just, I was so tired and I just wanted to eat in front of the TV and then go to bed. I was so worn out. And then I heard a man yelling and crying outside. And I was worried about him. And I didn't know what I could do to help, but one thing that I'm learning here at church is that I don't have to have all of the answers and I don't have to know how to do everything right to show up with love. And so I went outside and I sat with the man. And some of our, my neighbors came out and sat with us too. And together we waited for a non-police presence, uh, a response team to arrive. And I didn't have any training for this and I didn't really feel prepared, but I've been coming here and I've been learning better how to show up with care and love when called. So I tried my best and everyone stayed safe and everything worked out and I am really grateful for that. The next day, I had a lot of feelings about what had happened the night before. So I called some friends from church, Rebecca and Denise they're church friends who spend a lot of time thinking about how we can help people without calling police. And I asked if they would listen to me while I talked about what it was like to do that helping. And then I turned to my UU friends, Sherry and Elizabeth, who listened and supported me all week long. And when I mentioned it to my Faithful Action uh, committee co-leads, right away, Reverend Arif offered to be there if I wanted to talk about it. Building capacity to respond with love when called, recognizing that call, answering the call even if we don't know exactly how, helping each other, learning from our mistakes together, that's pretty good stuff. And isn't that why we come to church? Welcome, newcomers, visitors, guests to First Universalist Church. Your presence here is a gift to this gathering. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to longtime members, new members, and friends. Your return blesses this community in its own wisdom. Each life gathered here gives strength to our common journey now and the living paths we take throughout our days. We celebrate you, we love and welcome each one of you, and it matters to our community that you're here. I am Dallas Rising, one of your worship associates, and I'm joined in leading worship today by Reverend Jen Crow, our senior minister. Thank you. 
Dr. Glenn Thomas Rideout, the piano, director of worship. Uh, Reverend Arif Mamdani and Amy K. Bryant and Olu and John, our managing media and live stream connection folks. By ushers and greeters and artists and so many people have prepared this space with grace and good care prepared these words and these songs to keep and change you, to wake you up and help you rest. Let's pause to notice how life is breathing through us now. I invite you to notice the body that holds you now. Let your body show you the way to soften and loosen. As your body begins to settle, carefully choose a word of something your spirit hopes to find in our time together. Let this hope breathe in you slowly and deeply in three meaningful breaths. Peace and inspiration await us now in the familiar places and where we've never thought to look. May that be ever so. I invite Reverend Jen to come on up and kindle the chalice flame. This tradition connects us with Unitarian Universalists everywhere through all of time. And I invite us to all say these words together. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Thank you. With open hands and hearts, may we give, receive, and grow the blessing of beloved community now and always. As we continue to breathe, I'd like for you to sing a song with us. It's a chant, and it's pretty simple. The words are pretty tiny. They go, loosen, loosen, loosen. Well, just two loosens, actually. You'll have less time to loosen. Loosen, loosen, Baby, actually. Loosen, loosen, baby. Say it with me. Loosen, loosen, baby. Ah, yes. I heard, I heard, um, I heard uh, babies that could be softer. Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. There's the one that goes three times. I remember now. It goes like this. Loosen, loosen, baby. Loosen, loosen, baby. 
the next one goes up. You don't have to carry. You don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. The weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Let go, let go, let go. I'll do two of them. Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. One more time. Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't have to carry the weight of the world in your muscles and bones. Let go, let go, let go. Will you sing with me? Loosen, loosen, baby. You don't Time for all ages, we're going to make up a story together. And um, I, when I'm doing a teaching artist, artist residency, I always tell my participants that we're creating an ensemble. And you know, ensemble is a fancy word for group. A group of musicians is a band, that's an ensemble. A group of actors can become an ensemble. So we need to ensembleize ourselves to create this story, and I, I use the word ensemble because I also tell my participants that to me, the word ensemble means that the story is the star. That we are all going to commit our energy, all of our talent, our individual talent toward our collective success in making this story together. So I feel like I've already been doing too much soloing. <laughs> um, does anybody have an idea of a character that we want our story to be about? 
You can call it out. Ah, uh, yes. I see two hands over there. Yes, and the twins with the hat. Yes. A dog. What's the dog's name? Lucy. And who else? There's the person behind you also had your hand raised. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. With the, with the stuffy. Yeah. Oh, about the stuffy. What's your stuffy's name? Albert? Wait, say it again. Howler. Howler. Oh, okay. So, oh, I forgot the first dog's name already. A dog name. Lucy and Howler and a stuffy named Howler. Right, there's a dog named Lucy and she's got a little stuffy named Howler. She loves her stuffy. She loves it so much she goes to bed with it at night and it comes into her dreams with her. She loves her stuffy that much and in her dreams it comes alive. But when she wakes up um, this morning, this Sunday morning, today, she rolls over in her little dog bed and Lucy does not see Howler laying there. And Lucy gets up and <laughs> looks all around all the places that Lucy knows where Howler might be and doesn't find Howler anywhere. What does she do next? Yes, she panics. She runs around in circles chasing her tail. She goes all over the house. She does not know what to do. Does anybody have an idea what should happen next in the story? She does call a friend. Which friend? Anyone? Mark. Mark the cow. Did you say cat? Oh, my hearing. <laughs> the, did you say cat or cow? Cat, yes. She calls her friend the cat, and she says, arr, 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 arr. and the cat says, calm down. I see you're panicking. Take a deep breath. And, and Lucy says, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't, I can't find my holler, I can't find my holler and I don't know what to do. And the cat says, okay, 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 imagine, look at your paw, hold your paw up in front of your face, everybody hold up your paw. Imagine it's a rose, smell the rose, Lucy. And Lucy takes a deep breath in. And then the cat says, okay, now imagine it's a birthday cake and blow out the candle. And Lucy says, Okay, again, smell the rose. Blow out the candle. Right. And Lucy says, oh, yeah, okay. I can think a little more clearly now. I cannot find Howler. And the cat says, okay, did you look around? And Lucy says, I did. And the cat says, oh, okay. Um, what do you think the cat says next? Can I help you? Okay, we need things that move the story forward, <laughs> right? So, and, and, and that's not, um, I don't mean that to be like a diss or anything, but we're creating, right? So if what you add to the story does not um, create some kind of action, then uh, we're still in the same spot, right? So what does the cat say that can help Lucy find the Howler, and not a question, a statement. <laughs> Say it again. Yes. Yes, the cat says, I know, right? Who? What? Yeah, the cat says, check in your dreams. And Lucy says, oh, yes, okay, 
Now I got to get back to sleep. But I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious. How am I going to calm down enough to go back to sleep? And the cat says, okay, take a deep breath. Now hum. Everybody take another deep breath. And the cat says, okay, hum again. Wrap your arms around yourself and hum to yourself. And the cat says, if I were there, I would hold you and hum with you. But now you have to hold yourself. And, and Lucy says, it's working, it's working. I, oh, oh, gotta go to sleep now. And so Lucy falls asleep. What's the first thing you think Lucy sees in her dream? Howler? I heard colors? Or did someone say howler? Did everyone say howler? Yes, everyone said holler. Oh my goodness, our minds, we are becoming an ensemble. Yes, immediately she sees Howler and she says, why did you stay in my, in my dreams? What do you think Howler says? You were dreaming the whole time. In theater, we call that duas et machina. <laughs> and, and, and Lucy says, oh, I, you've been with me all along? Oh, it's now it's like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and... and and she says, yes, yes, I'm always with you. I, I love you and I'm a part of you now. Even if I'm not there physically in your presence, you can talk to me and you'll know what I would say. And Lucy says, you're right. We are very close. We will never be apart. And she says, okay, I think I'll be okay now. And Lucy wakes up. And there next to her is her howler. The... And, <laughs> okay, really quickly, that was a weird story. <laughs> but, like, it has some real magic in it, right? So what is it like to create a story together? And I apologize, because I did do most of the talking and the creating. But what do, you, what do you think? Let's just reflect on that exercise for a moment. How is it like life? Yeah, you got to be vulnerable enough to put your stuff out there in front of everybody. What's it like when you have an idea and someone else's idea gets chosen? Did anybody have that experience? I see a hand way in the back. Yeah, what do you want to say? Oh, really? So did it hurt your feelings when we told a story that wasn't your idea? A little? Are you okay now? Okay, good. So we find out that even if we don't get our way, we can still be all right, that's one thing. Um, what is another thing that we learn about doing it all together, becoming an ensemble, making a story? Or how is this like life, yes. Yeah, sometimes you might feel sad if someone's idea gets chosen and yours doesn't. Yeah, you might. Are you, did you get sad? No. No, you're okay? Okay. <laughs> Anything else that we want to reflect on? You don't know which way the story is going to go. That's like life, right? Kind of. I mean, we have our plans. But the thing, the point I'm trying to make, and then I'll, I'll talk, I'll stop talking, is that we are all in this thing together. And the story of humanity is our collective 
story. We're, we're all improvising a story together right now, and we can see it playing out in our climate, right? And so part of our work as you use and just as human beings and as like citizens of this planet is to figure out how to become an ensemble, to write a story that supports all of us and supports our survival on this planet. Okay, that was our story for the day. <laughs> I used to say, I used to say it to, to calm myself down when I got frantic, when there was too much noise. And now I say it because it is a deep part of my truth that the sound of children and youth is the evidence of new life and a cause for great gratitude and the evidence of a blessing. Right? It happens on cue almost every time. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. <laughs> the uh, Christian apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians for the second time, but the first letter is lost to us, so we call it 1 Corinthians. The Corinthians were known for fighting for no good reason. Wouldn't that be a shame if that were if that were the reputation of your church 2,000 years later? Hello. But they were squabbling and arguing and fighting for no good reason. So Paul wrote a letter and said, if you do all you can but do it without love, there's no reason to do it at all. He said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away my childish things. And it was 20 years later when I, was, when I opened Dao De Jing, and Dao De Jing was changing my life, that I saw the exact same words translated a world away. Dao De Jing teaches that the Dao is beyond naming. The Tao begins when we stop trying to classify it. It's like this. When we're younger, when we begin to learn about the world, we're taught that this is a chair. But we were never meant to stay in that mind frame. Eventually, we grow to understand that there is no chair without the wood that makes it. And there is no wood without the tree, and no tree without the water, no water without the air, and on and on it goes until there are no names which can classify, no words that can hold the one truth. It's something like this. We are all connected. There is no difference, no separation between the life force that comes to me and the life force that breathes in you.
And so these moments of quiet, I invite you to, are moments not only to, to be present to the moment, but also to pause and grow in the awareness of our connections one to another. If we can grow beyond the limitations of our current mind frame, if we can see how our thoughts are connected beyond our thoughts, if we can see that I am you and you are me and we are because of us, then we might begin to enter into the communion that brings us the way to peace. I invite you now to some moments of quiet keeping for no other reason than to hear yourself in the silence and to hear the silence in you. Spirit of life, Holy One, substance of freedom, loosen our grip. Help us to find the way that we never imagined before. Help us to find in the lessons of our ancestors the nature of peace. Release us to release our anxiety so that there is room for our liberation. Amen. With our hands wide open, in the spirit of community, we engage a practice of holding one another in care, in the room. This is how we do it. We call to mind the truths of our lives, the highlighted chapters of our stories from this week and the past. For some of us, it's good to speak them out aloud. For some of us, the heart needs to hold them in silence. All of that is okay. What we do together is hold the space.
and each thing we hear and each thing we don't hear in the silence. We make an effort to care about, whether we hear the words or not. So I'll invite you. If you would speak something that you'd have the community here, if you'd speak something to yourself to resonate in your heart, the space is open now. for the moments of joy and sorrow, for the moments where we know what to feel and the moments where we have no idea. For all of the moments where the breath of life breathes with and through us, we pause in awe and give thanks. We stand together now so that the memory of this togetherness may go with us everywhere we go, every moment we have. May the heart of the community be a blessing to us for all our days. So may it be. Amen. Spirit of life, Come unto me, sing in my heart all the stories of We have arrived at the part of our service where I invite you to loosen, loosen a little bit uh, your hold on your wallets and contribute to this morning's offering. I couldn't resist that, my apologies. But before I do that, I have a question for you all. How many of you uh, drove over a pothole this morning on your way here? Yeah, maybe, uh, or, or had your travel here um, impacted in some form by 
construction that's happening. Yeah, right? There's, there's a lot of it going on in the Twin Cities right now, right? We have, um, we have fall and we have winter and we have construction season where uh, the roads and other things are repaired. Where I live in St. Paul, uh, the city is on yet another round of um, replacing the, uh, the, the water supply pipes that go uh, to people's houses, right? When these were first put in, I don't even know when, uh, they were uh, lead pipes, and as we have learned, um, that's a bad thing. So uh, they're in the process of replacing them. So why am I talking about roads and potholes and pipes right now? Roads and potholes and pipes are what we might think of as physical infrastructure. Right? They are the, the sort of the stuff that is under the surface that makes our lives possible. And in this last presidential election, you probably heard a candidate uh, talking about infrastructure, 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 because the infrastructure of this country, and it's very obvious when we drive on our roads, has been eroding because it has not been maintained, right? I mean, this is not news. Friends, when we support organizations out in the world, what we are doing is we are contributing to build the social infrastructure that is necessary in our communities that has not been built in BIPOC communities to create the conditions for thriving and flourishing. This morning's offering goes to support the Center for Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement. The Center for Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement teaches local leaders and faith communities to affect social change. They partner with the Alafia Foundation. They invest in visionary leaders of nonprofits, small businesses, and social entrepreneurs in North Minneapolis. In this way, they are creating the social infrastructure, the community infrastructure that folks in North Minneapolis need to thrive. This is what I invite you to give generously to, and I invite the ushers to please come forward.
Yeah, (laughs) I had a very different imagining for how I would come up here. It's just, we're we're just, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you both. Hear this poem by Marilyn Nelson. It's called Generous Listening. A conversation can be a contest or a game of catch with invisible balloons. They bounce between us, growing and shrinking, sometimes floating like cloud medicine balls, and sometimes bowling at us like round anvils. You toss a phrase, and understanding blooms like an anemone of colored lights. My mind fireworks with unasked questions. Who is this miracle speaking to me? And who is this miracle listening? What amazingness are we creating? Out of gray matter, a star spark of thought leaps between synapses into the air and pours through gray matter, into my heart. How can I not listen generously? 
It takes a crane to build a crane. And it takes two floors to make a story. It takes an egg to make a hen. It takes a hen to make an egg. There is no end to what I'm saying. And it takes a thought to make a word. And it takes some words to make an action. It takes some work to make it work. It takes some good to make it hurt. It takes some bad for satisfaction. to make it dawn and it takes a day to make you yawn brother and it takes some old to make you young it takes some cold to know the sun it takes the one to have the other and it takes no time to fall in love but it takes you years to know what love is and it takes some fears to make you trust it takes some years to make it rust takes the dust to have it polished. Ah, la, 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 life is wonderful. Ah, la, 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 life goes full circle. Ah, la, 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 life is wonderful. Ah, la, 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 and it is so. some silence to make sound and it takes a loss before you found it and it takes a road to go nowhere it takes a toll to show you care it takes a hole to make a mountain
Over the last few weeks together, we have been exploring this idea of beloved community. Exploring, I would say, what it takes to build an ensemble. How to do that on purpose. What it means and how to do it. We've learned that beloved community is a community that is ordered in love that the experience of a community rooted in love has the power to change us and the power to change us, the bigger we too. We've learned that this experience, this kind of community rooted in love, the experience of beloved community doesn't just happen, it's actually the result of sustained and serious spiritual practice. The spiritual practice of nonviolence, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say, Nonviolence, which is rooted in tenderheartedness and tough-mindedness. The tender heart, the tough mind, the practice of nonviolence, which can result in the creation of beloved community that has the power to change us as individuals and us as a world as well. As you know, we're exploring the different ways to build beloved community here in our congregation and in our lives throughout this year. And we're shifting now in this month of October into exploring the spiritual practice of building beloved community by learning from each other's experiences. Learning from each other's experiences. That's what we're gonna talk about in October and experience together. And I'll tell you, as we have been preparing for this month, there's been a particular phrase from a particular person that has been running in my mind. And the phrase, the sentence really goes like this. If I can't get you to see them, you can't see the person standing in front of you. If I can't get you to see them, you can't see the person standing in front of you. These words... If I can't get you to see them, I can't get you to see the person standing in front of you. They come from Yvonne Holden, Director of Operations for the Whitney Plantation in Wallace, Louisiana. This plantation is about an hour outside of New Orleans in a part of the country where southern plantations have often become places of whitewashed nostalgia at best. Event centers that fail to address the past or the present of their place in the world. But in this landscape, the Whitney Plantation stands apart. And it stands apart because it makes the stories of the people who were enslaved on that plantation the center of the experience of visiting. It's a place of history. It's a place of memorials and monuments. But it's also a place of story, a place where the stories told in the words of the folks who were enslaved there are told out loud at the plantation. It's an opportunity to learn from each other's experiences with a tough mind and a tender heart. Descendants of people who were enslaved there at the Whitney Plantation still live in the surrounding area, and some of them work there as directors, as tour guides, as folks who help keep that place going. For Yvonne Holden, she can trace her family history all the way back to her then nine-year-old grandfather and his 16-year-old brother when they made the decision to escape the racial terror of the Jim Crow South in 1938. Nine and 16 years old, they decided they were leaving. She imagines these two black boys hopping trains and walking 
all the way from Forest City, Arkansas to Chicago, Illinois. She imagines in them what that drive inside must have felt like. The fear, the instinct for survival, the strength, the ingenuity, the resilience, the courage, the creativity it took to make that journey at 9 and 16. These and so many others are the ancestors that are in Yvonne's mind and heart when she tells the story of the enslaved people who lived and worked at the Whitney Plantation, using stories in the people's own words. Now, it's probably no surprise to hear that going to the Whitney Plantation is an emotional experience for most people who go there. Even the self-selecting visitors who say, I'm going on purpose to learn this history. It's hard to learn sometimes facts that were previously unknown or the specificity and the detail of lived experience to let in full humanity of each other can be so hard. Now, there are a couple of comments that Yvonne typically gets as she leads these tours, and they're very different depending on the different kind of people who are on the tours. For instance, she says the number one question she gets from white visitors is this. I know slavery was bad, and I don't mean it like this, but weren't there any good slave owners? Number one comment she gets from black visitors. Why don't you go further in telling the true story of the depravity of what happened here? It's a 90-minute tour, she says. <laughs> 90 minutes. And the guides there are striving to tell the story of the enslaved people at the Whitney Plantation and beyond as best as they can. And one of their commitments is to talk not just about what happened to the enslaved people there, but also to talk about them, using their own words as much as possible. To talk about their strength, their determination, their courage, their creativity, their resistance, and the legacies that they have passed down to generations, how those legacies live now and live well inside of African-American people, even when you can't trace the history back name by name by name by name. So this is the context for that phrase that's been ringing in my mind that I told you about from Yvonne Holden, when she says, if I can't get you to see them, I can't get you to see the person standing in front of you. The full paragraph goes like this. If you can't see them for being people, you can't see me as a person. I want to get you to see them because I know as a black woman what my challenges in society have been. It's stemming from this history, so if I can't get you to see them, then I can't get you to see the person standing in front of you. If I can't get you to see them, I can't get you to see me. I've been thinking about this phrase, too, as I know that this weekend, folks from all over have gathered in the Twin Cities to tell the stories of what it was to be a part of the Native American boarding school movement, to have been through that experience, to heal, to share. I imagine those survivors saying too, if I can't get you to see them, I can't get you to see me. I wonder who that is for each of us 
who it is, if we were in deep conversation with someone else, we might say to them, if I can't get you to see them or those experiences, I can't get you to see me. Now, I think here's the thing we know. Really seeing each other, seeing beyond what's right here, but seeing back and back and back into the depths of who we are and each other's spirits, what makes us who we are, this isn't so easy. It sounds good. It feels really good when we can get there. But there is so very much in our way. It takes a tough mind to be willing to let someone else in, to let those stories in, to let the facts we thought were true shift and change and add. It takes a tough mind, Reverend Dr. King would say, to be open to change. It takes a tough mind to be willing to shift, an internal posture that is flexible enough to adjust when we learn new things. Reverend Dr. King said, the soft-minded person always fears change. They feel security in the status quo, and they have an almost morbid fear of the new. For them, the greatest pain is the pain of a new idea. To be tough-minded means letting in new ideas, to be open. But it also requires the tender heart, that willingness to be changed by what we hear and to know that feelings are going to come with that. Maybe fear, maybe loss, maybe hope, maybe joy, maybe a sense of interconnection that calls us out into the street to care for each other. The author Mark Nepo writes it this way. To listen, to listen is to lean in softly with a willingness to be changed by what we hear. To lean in toward each other softly with a willingness to be changed by what we hear. This takes that tough mind and that tender heart. The tender heart that will know sadness, that will have to give up control of how things are going and when and where. That soft heart that can welcome vulnerability by willingness to be changed by what we hear. So I bring this up today because it turns out that building beloved community and learning from each other's experiences, it sounds nice and benign, but it's actually really, really hard. To truly be open to learning from each other's experiences requires a letting go, a loosen, loosen on who we have been and what we have known, an openness to possibility that takes intention and cultivation. It takes the kind of generous listening that the poet Marilyn Nelson talked about in our reading this morning. Earlier this week, I got to be present for a gathering here at church of folks who were 60 years old and up and asked them about what are the spiritual characteristics you are trying to cultivate in this phase of your life. It was an incredibly rich gathering, and there was something that someone said during this time that is guiding me, and I hope guiding us, 
as we begin and continue this practice of learning from each other's experiences. Somebody in the room said, in this phase of my life, I would like to become wiser, not merely smarter. I want to become wiser, not merely smarter. I think if you're on that path, you're already going in the right direction, personally. Because to me, wisdom is different than just smartness. Smartness is about that accumulation of facts, right? Of being able to quote the right date, of knowing the theories inside and out, maybe being able to solve a technical problem, and maybe even knowing more and more and more, which is part of letting in that new information. But becoming wiser, becoming wiser is the combination of becoming smarter, maybe, tough-minded, but also tender-hearted. Both of these are required. And when I think about becoming wiser as opposed to merely smarter, I can't help but think about Reverend Ruth McKenzie, our minister emerita, and how she would always say, it's about your posture. It's about your spiritual posture. How you are in the world. How we hold ourselves. Are we open? Are we flexible? Are we willing? These are some of the things that help us grow in the ways of wisdom and the tender heart. When we can look at one another and say, who is this miracle speaking to me? And who is this miracle listening? What amazingness are we creating together? This is the spirit we are trying to move ourselves into this willingness to be changed, this willingness to be amazed by each other, by our creativity and courage and resilience and strength, by our determination, by the way so many legacies live within us through the generations. In this world where speed and rushing and urgency we're solidifying ourselves in the sureness of our own positions and assumptions, where even hardness of heart and softness of mind and fear that grabs us about what we are afraid we are about to lose, when all of those things get in our way, when the limitations of what we thought was possible to expect about ourselves and each other, when how the world has been framed for us for generations has been in the constraints of capitalism and colonialism, the construct of race as a caste system to separate us, it can be very, very hard to listen and learn from each other's experiences in the ways of the poets and the prophets. So it is in this setting that we are striving to listen and to learn, to point ourselves back to what we know to be true. As the Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman named it, he said, there is some region in every person that is listening for the sound of the genuine in other people. There is something in us that is listening, listening for the sound of the genuine in other people. And getting there, I will say, is a practice, a practice for us to engage in again and again and again. I'm grateful for the ways to practice that are offered here at church in this community, 
ways to practice in small groups, ways to practice together at community dinners, ways to practice in conversations down in the social hall. There's a program coming up that we're offering called How to Talk to People. Perfect opportunity. And this morning, as we get ready to leave the sanctuary, there is a particular practice that I want to invite you into. As you leave today, which will be in just a couple of moments, maybe you saw out there that there were bowls of water and small empty vials. Those bowls full of water are full of the water that you and others brought during water communion here. Those little vials are for you to fill up with that water that comes from so many other folks. I want to invite you into a practice with this. As you head out, fill that vial and bring it on your way with you. And then use that water to help center yourselves. Maybe use it to literally bless yourself when you need to move into a different posture, a place of deep listening and understanding. I invite you with that water to meditate on all the people who brought it into this place. All of those stories, those legacies that go back generation after generation, whether we can track them name by name or not. All of those people who are part of that water, who are part of us. I invite us into the spiritual practice of seeing each other and all the people behind us. May it be so. Amen.
you are new or newish to church, I invite you to come join us after the service for a place to start. If you are someone who has a chalice lighter who is about to have our chalice lighter training, go grab them from their class and bring them back. And for all of us, let's gather some water so that we might center ourselves in this posture of openness and willingness of listening and care. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you've been comforted or inspired by this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. We'd love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org dot o-r-g